Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. A Supreme Court ruling this week could have a big impact on what you're allowed to wear when you go to vote. The court struck down a Minnesota law banning political apparel at the polls. The law remains on the books for now until the legislature changes it, but for this election year, it will just have to be enforced differently. The Supreme Court ruling could have a major impact on political expression at Minnesota polling places. This is all about political motivation and political exploitation, exploitation of a statute that was overly broad. Andy Selick was among the plaintiffs in the case of Minnesota Voters Alliance versus Mansky. A case that stemmed from a policy that came down from Ramsey County Elections Manager Joe Mansky targeting, specifically targeting, people he didn't like. And that is people that had Tea Party apparel. And now why he did it, you'd have to ask him. So we did. Was there any political motivation? Uh, not at all. What we're doing is we are trying to implement the state law as it is written. And we can't ignore the law, even if the law is written vaguely. We have to do our best to implement it. We won the case 7-2. to Selick says he was turned away from a Ramsey County polling place for wearing a Tea Party shirt in 2010, told state law didn't allow political apparel or buttons at polling places. Not only was it overly broad, but it was all arbitrary. It was arbitrary and it was not even handed. Selick's attorney says it protects freedom of speech for everyone. Everyone in Minnesota wins because regardless of what they wear, if it has a political statement, they're not going to be told by an election official, you can't vote because you're wearing that. Until the law is changed, Secretary of State Steve Simon says election judges will have to be given more specific instructions on what you can wear or display in polling places. Something that's explicitly associated with a candidate or a political party that's on the ballot in that contest, it's okay to limit um, expression that contains those things. But most other things is probably not okay. In other words, you still won't be able to wear a shirt or a button that says something like Joe Smith for governor, but you could likely wear a button that says cut my taxes or a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Uh, the tough part will be what to do about something like a Make America Great Again hat. It's just a slogan, but it is directly associated with President Trump, so there is still some work to be done on that issue. Later today, DFL delegates in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District will meet to try and endorse a candidate ahead of the August primary. These five DFL candidates are vying to run for the seat in November. Current Congressman Keith Ellison is giving it up to run for state attorney general. The delegates will meet at Clara Barton School in Minneapolis. Organizers say this was one of the only weekends available to hold a convention ahead of early voting. Candidates have spent the past two weeks scrambling to get support. Congressional seats don't come up for, you know, uh, don't open it up that frequent. So there's a, uh, I think, opportunity to have a conversation about some of the things that are impacting, you know, um, nationally, but in the district as well. Another candidate, Margaret Anderson Kelleher, is calling for a series of four debates among the candidates before the primary. Stay with 5 Eyewitness News and KSTP.com and we'll let you know the outcome of that endorsement battle. Later this week, President Trump will make his first visit to Minnesota since taking office. He is set to hold a rally at the Duluth Entertainment Convention Center on Wednesday. You'll remember he made a campaign stop in a hangar at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport in November of 2016, just days before he won the presidential election. Duluth is in the 8th Congressional District, and Trump will highlight the candidacy of Republican Pete Stauber.
That seat is up for grabs this November. Now that Congressman Rick Nolan is running for lieutenant governor, several Democrats are running in a primary to face Stauber. The president's visit to Minnesota will come approximately one week after his historic meeting with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un in Singapore. Both countries will continue negotiations towards what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo calls a major disarmament of North Korea's nuclear weapons. It's still not clear how that process will play out or how long it might take. President Trump says he trusts North Korea will follow through. Now, at the end of that Singapore summit, President Trump says he brought up the issue of returning the remains of missing U.S. military members from the Korean War. There are about 140 Minnesotans unaccounted for since the end of the Korean War. President Trump has given their families and Korean War veterans new hope that a search for remains will resume. The United States is technically still at war with North Korea. The fighting ended under a ceasefire or armistice, but not before 37,000 U.S. military personnel were killed. Another 7,700 are still unaccounted for. I was attached to a reconnaissance squadron. 86-year-old Ed Valley is president of a Minnesota chapter of the Korean War Veterans Association. Bring our guys home, find out where they are. I have North Korea come up and say we had mass burials and here is where they are, or we had somebody in captivity and this is where they were. We need that to be taken care of. It, to us, it's one of the high priorities of the, of the summit. Thank you very much. It's the issue of U.S. military remains was the last thing brought up by President Trump at the summit. And he says the North Korean president agreed to help. Uh, the remains will be coming back. They're going to start that process immediately. But there are doubts about how quickly and how many remains might be returned. Only 229 sets of American remains were recovered between 1990 and 2005, the last time North Korea cooperated. We met Ed Valley at the Korean War Veterans Memorial on the state capitol grounds. He says the names of over 700 Minnesotans are listed at the memorial, including 140 who are unaccounted for. The skepticism on, on of the sincerity of what the North says they want to do or are going to do. So, like uh, President Trump said, we'll wait and see. Now, there is no timeline or process in place to address this issue just yet. The Korean ceasefire was 65 years ago, and there is a dwindling number of families left who hope to finally get some answers. And tonight on 5 Eyewitness News at 10, you'll meet a St. Paul woman hoping for some answers. Ruth Santella's brother, George D'Amico of Cumberland, Wisconsin, was killed in action near Taejeon, Korea in 1950. The 19-year-old's remains were never returned. They never sent any dog tags, I think that's what they're called, back to my mother because they didn't have any. No, and they had sent her nothing that proves that the body was found. Despite the developments out of the summit, Santella remains skeptical. Her brother's remains will be found and returned to the U.S. We'll have more of this Korean War family story tonight at 10 on 5 Eyewitness News. Former FBI Director James Comey was spotted in Minnesota on Thursday, the same day the Justice Department's internal watchdog released a report criticizing the FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Here's what he had to say when we asked for a comment on the report. No, I'm sorry. I think they can't say that anymore. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say anything. Clearly, he had not much to say. It is also unclear why Comey was in Minnesota 
and he declined to talk about that as well. A federal audit exposes health safety problems inside some Minnesota adult daycare centers. The report raised concern with how Minnesota's Department of Human Services oversees inspections. Eric Shalou has a closer look at the report and reaction from DHS officials and lawmakers. A knife left on the counter, chemicals within reach, and dirty and dingy conditions are just some of the problems federal investigators say they discovered inside adult daycare centers. The inspections took place at 20 adult care centers across the state, from Dakota, Hennepin, Ramsey, and Scott counties, along with these counties in greater Minnesota. In this newly issued report, we learned they found 200 violations, including health and safety and administrative issues. That includes people without background checks. Anytime that we have a particularly health and safety violations, we're going to be concerned. These are vulnerable adults that are in these programs, and we want to make sure that they're going to be safe. Carolyn Ham with Minnesota's DHS says when they got the findings, their own investigators went out and issued correction orders to more than half of the adult care centers mentioned in the report. She says that unit that oversees the centers is understaffed and only able to visit 85% of the care centers in the two-year time frame required by law. Yet they haven't asked the legislature for help. Why did you not ask before a report like this came out? Because of the, the increase has been so recent. I mean, it's really 2016 and 2017. So it's not as though we, this has been growing for the last five years. It's just been a sudden jump. I'm very disappointed. I'm sad and shocked. The report did not sit well with State Senator Jim Abler from Anoka. He says he doesn't understand why DHS is waiting till next session to ask to fix this staffing shortfall. If I was the department head, I would make sure all my people didn't get Saturday off. And we're going to get this squared away. And instead, I hear no sense of urgency. Eric Shalou, 5 Eyewitness News. And we've learned DHS doesn't have anyone assigned full-time to do these inspections. They have what equates to two people doing full-time work. If you'd like to see the other adult daycare centers mentioned in that audit, just log on to KSTP.com. Up next, our series of candidate interviews continues with U.S. Senate candidate Karen Housley. Find out why she wants to head to Capitol Hill and the issues she's focusing on in her campaign. Throughout this election season, we're going to be sitting down with several candidates you'll see on the ballot in some of Minnesota's key races. Today, we're joined by Republican Karen Housley. She is running in the special election for the U.S. Senate seat held by Democrat Tina Smith at this point. Housley is a state senator from Washington County. Her key issues include elder care reform and veterans affairs. She also owns a real estate business in Stillwater and is married to NHL coach and Hall of Fame player, Phil Housley, and you also see some video from the Republican convention in Duluth a couple weeks ago where you were officially uh, endorsed as the Republican candidate. Welcome to At Issue. I, I, thank you so much for having me. The first female uh, ever endorsed for the United States Senate as a Republican. I found that out after. Well, isn't that something? I know. And it, you know luckily, that has become so routine that women right. are being endorsed for these races. You forget that sometimes forget there's a little, still first. little bit of history being made. Now, other than Senator Franken's seat suddenly becoming open, what made you decide now was the time to make the leap from the state Senate to the mm -hmm. U.S. Senate? Um, I, I'm running because I really wanted to be a, a new voice for Minnesota. We haven't had a, a Republican in the U.S. Senate in over 10 years. And so uh, as a small business owner, I can see what happens when government gets in the way with, with increasing regulations and, and really stifling your business. So what I've been doing in the state Senate, I wanted to continue to do in Washington, D.C., just be a new voice and work hard for keep our economy growing. And obviously Washington is a much bigger political <laughs> stage than St. Paul. 
and, and so what are some of the issues you want to take from St. Paul to Washington to continue uh, fighting for? Well, and, and my big issue that I've been working on in the state legislature is to really help keep our, uh, the, the issues that affect seniors. I've been working really hard uh, with the issues with the abuses and the neglect that have been happening in our nursing homes and the failure of the Dayton Smith administration of not taking care of our seniors. So really advocating for our seniors and all of the issues that affect them is what I want to do in Washington, D.C. And then, and then the President Trump's policies and the way our economy is going, we have the lowest unemployment since in 18 years. So to continue policies and pushing for policies that are going to help our business owners and help people, help Minnesotans keep more of their money in their pocket. We'll talk more about President Trump in a moment, but obviously elder care issues very important to you. Dovetailing with that, uh, the issues of Social Security and Medicare. Mm -hmm. A lot of senior citizens and younger people, like yeah. me for instance, are concerned about the future of yeah. Social Security and Medicare. What policies would you pursue to make sure those programs remain solvent? Yep. And, and I do hear that out there, especially when I've been touring the state in the nursing homes and, and listening to the concerns. And, and we really, to, to calm down uh, our seniors, uh, we need to preserve and protect our Social Security for them because that was their, their hard-earned dollars that was put away for their future. So we have to really take a good hard look at it because uh, the way it's going, it's not going to be there forever. But we have to make sure for our seniors right now that we are going to preserve and protect their Social Security dollars. From time to time, Republicans bring up the idea of privatizing Social Security. Is that something you would ever be in favor of looking at? Um, and, and again, we'd have to look at everything just like I do when a new issue comes up at the, at the Minnesota State Senate. Um, I would really have to look into it and, and look at everything that's out there and what the ideas are and what works best for the people here in Minnesota. Now, obviously, you'll have to get up to speed on international affairs, not something you have to worry about a lot in the Minnesota legislature. But this week, uh, you sent out a release about the president's mm -hmm. summit with the North Korean leader. You called it historic and a, a breakthrough in pursuit of security. Are you at all troubled by President Trump's sudden turnaround in terms of his relationship with the North Korean leader and how he seemed to overlook some of the human rights violations that have obviously happened in North Korea? I think it, it's, it really was historic, you know, uh, all the eyes of the world were on that. It hasn't happened in decades where the leaders of the two countries have met. Uh, so I think what it does is it gives hope uh, what we really do need to do and, and hopefully President Trump will continue to focus on this and get this as an outcome of the meeting is to make sure that we denuclearize the peninsula of, of uh, uh, North Korea. Yeah. Like we have to make sure we get the nukes out of their hands. So. We've got to do that. But should there be some accountability for the human rights violations? Should the president maybe be a little more of a voice on that issue? Um, and, and maybe he still will be because we never know what he's going to do. Uh, and uh, maybe going forward that is something that he's going to do. But I think he probably will address it. How different would you be in the U.S. Senate from Senator Tina Smith? I mean, clearly she is an opponent of, of President Trump's. How would you differ from her? What would be the most obvious thing Minnesotans would notice? Um, well, I think right now she's, she's being an obstructionist. Any, any policies that are on her desk, she's voting no. Any confirmations, she's voting no. Uh, she has been a political operative her whole career. I've been a small business owner. Uh, and so I think we come from two different worlds. I'm out there working it, with everybody else, trying to uh, keep more money in our pocket with running our small business. And she's been a political operative. And our, our, her voting record in the U.S. Senate shows that, and mine in the Minnesota Senate shows that. Now, as a business owner, where do you stand on the issue of uh, trade and tariffs? Uh, clearly, President Trump has staked out a position where he's slapping tariffs on China and even some of our allies like Canada and Mexico and other European countries. That could hurt some Minnesota companies and certainly Minnesota farmers. 
Are you concerned about that, or do you think he's on the right track? Uh, well, I do hear from uh, people in Minnesota that they're concerned, and, and we have such a diverse state that there are two camps on it. Uh, you know, up on the Iron Range, they, they welcomed the steel tariffs, and then yet this morning I met with a, a pork producer, and the farmers are, are not so happy, and there is some, some unrest out there. So we, we really have to make sure that we take everybody's issues and opinions into account, and I'm sure from what I hear, is that President Trump will get this will get this resolved before uh, before Election Day? And finally, President Trump will be in uh, the state on Wednesday. Do you have any plans to go up there uh, as part of a campaign stop? Uh, I am going up there. I don't agree with the president 100 percent of the time, but I am going to go up there because uh, it is a rally. And anytime the commander in chief of, from our country uh, visits the state, I think it's it's an exciting time. It does show what that D.C. is focusing on Minnesota issues. It's a huge deal up there with the Iron Range and opening those mines. And, and to put some focus on that by the president coming is, is a good thing. Is there ever any concern about appearing too close to the president? Uh, or as a Republican, is it somewhat your duty uh, to go support the Republican president? Um, like I said, I don't agree with him 100% of the time. Even earlier this year when he wanted to roll back some Obama-era uh, fines and regulations on our nursing homes, and I heard from people that that was not good. So I actually talked to the administration. I said, hold off on that. So even though I don't agree with 100% of what he's doing, his policies are working with, with the, the economy turning around and our unemployment so low. So, yeah, I'm going to be up there at the rally because the, the policies are working. All right. Well, it's going to be an exciting time in Minnesota, the first time he's been here since he was elected uh, back in November of 2016. And uh, Senator Karen Housley, uh, best of luck to you on your uh, attempt to step up to the U.S. Senate. We'll, I'm sure, see you on the campaign trail. Thanks, Sam. All right. Senator Karen Housley. Up next, Sarah Walker and Brian McDaniel will join me for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome back. Time now for political analysis with Sarah Walker and Brian McDaniel. Thank you both for being here. It was fundraising Friday a couple of days ago. Let's take a look at the numbers that we got in on the governor's race. And the key figure here, the only one you really need to focus on, is cash on hand. Former Governor Tim Pawlenty, 1.2 million, almost 1.3 million cash on hand. Jeff Johnson, just 186,000. And you can see how much Pawlenty has raised in the less than three months. He's been in the race, and then Jeff Johnson has raised just about 169,000 in that same quarter, but again, he has 186,000 left on hand. Let's talk about this race first, and we'll come back to the Democrats. Brian, when you look at that, a huge advantage for Tim Pawlenty. Yeah, absolutely, and I think those numbers are disappointing for, for, for Jeff Johnson, but not surprising at all. I mean, this was something where we knew that uh, the donors were waiting to see if Governor Pawlenty was going to enter the race. He has, and you know, without there being you know huge policy differences between Commissioner Johnson and Governor Pawlenty, the, it comes down to who can deliver the message the best, and that looks like it's going to be Governor Pawlenty with uh, that amount of money. And, Sarah, I know uh, Democrats don't have a dog in this fight, but when it comes down to money versus endorsement, what wins out? Oh, well, absolutely money. I mean, and I would say it's not just money, but it's also name recognition. So I don't understand with that amount of money, even though Johnson has the endorsement, how he can run a legitimate primary statewide campaign. But the other thing is this is also an indication that Plenty has had long history and ties to the financial industry and lobbying, and it makes it a lot easier for him to raise money. And I'm sure Democrats are going to make an issue of that if he gets to the general election. Let's take a look at the Democrat figures for the governor's race. And again, you can see here Tim Walls has by far more cash on hand than Aaron Murphy. But again, Sarah, Aaron Murphy is the 
endorsed candidate here, but her cash on hand is dwarfed by the amount Tim Walls has. Lori Swanson just got into the race, so we don't have figures mm -hmm. on her yet. Again, same question. Endorsement or money matter here? Well, I think, you know, the Democratic race is a little more complicated because now it's a three-way race. And Lori Swanson obviously has some name ID. But I would also say this. It's obvious, and money isn't the only indication of success, but it obviously is an indication that you have an ability to run. People like you. They want to give to you. And I think that Walls is still going to be the strongest contender because even though the Democrats have, the Democratic Party has more money in their bank, about a million dollars compared to a little under 100000 for Republicans, they still have to defend and go after money, congressional seats, and other statewide offices. Do you see it the same way? Well, I think that the endorsement in, in uh, you know, for, uh, for Representative Murphy means more here because she's going to have the power of the DFL party behind her. That's where money will come from. That's where structure will come from. And, uh, and she's going to have such a, such a large progressive left-wing base in the cities while uh, Congressman Walls and uh, Attorney General Swanson fight over greater Minnesota. So I think that th this is setting up well for her. Just 30 seconds left. President Trump will be here on Wednesday. Does that help Republicans or hurt Republicans, the fact that he's going to be in the state? Um, I think that it helps. I mean, as, uh, as we heard from Senator Housley, a rally that, that kind of highlights what we're doing here is a good thing. He's up on the Iron Range where, where the steel tariffs are very popular. Um, I think it's going to be a good thing. Democrats will make a different case. Well, yes. I mean, I would say, yes, it might energize some of the Republican base. But as you also see, Trump is a driving motivation for the base in the Democratic Party. And I actually think it's going to motivate many people, especially in an area like Duluth, where there is a strong history of union workers. All right. And a big 8th District Congressional race we'll be keeping an eye on as well. So we'll be up there and have full coverage this week. Brian and Sarah, thanks for being here. We're ending the show with a raccoon and a mummified monkey. That's right. You heard me right. We'll be back in two minutes. We want to clarify the story we ran about the adult daycare center audit. We originally said the state required inspections every two years. The state clarified with us that inspections are only suggested to take place every two years. Meanwhile, the so-called Dayton's Monkey made its debut this week at the Science Museum of Minnesota. Crews renovated the old Dayton's building in, in Minneapolis, found the mummified monkey in an air duct. The monkey will be on display through September 9th. And, of course, we can't end the show without mentioning the raccoon that did the Spider-Man imitation this week, capturing the hearts of social media users. It's even getting its own bobblehead doll, courtesy of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum, only here in St. Paul. That's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.